lament is key to healthy spirituality. Just say, God, I wish this had not happened. Mm. In fact, I kind of can't believe that you let it happen. These are biblical thoughts, right? These are Psalms, words of Jesus, words of the apostles. These are deeply embedded into most of our congregation's rich history to lament. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe that the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Matt Burke, and with me is another co-host, Mackenzie Scott Lewis. Mackenzie, welcome to the podcast again. Man, it's good to be on the podcast with you, considering my name isn't Matt and I'm Mackenzie. So I like the co-laboring in this wonderful work. So welcome, everyone. Indeed. Glad that everyone is here. So we've got a really good topic today, but it's one that typically doesn't get talked about a whole lot. And we're going to talk about death, grief, and lament. We've got somebody coming in, a guest that we'll introduce here in just a few minutes to talk about that. But we typically talk a little bit about how our work intersects with the topic area. So Mackenzie, have you had a lot of conversations, a lot of situations in Northwest Indiana where you've talked to congregations about these topics and have kind of assessed their needs? Absolutely, man. It's a topic that is always before us, but yet, as you articulated earlier, that one does not want to talk about openly. Mm-hmm. And so what I hear a lot about is how can I handle this grieving? How long should one grieve and mourn? Mm. And then this machine of death, like almost Mm. pastors and ministers kind of get in a routine with death Mm. and it becomes this machine. And how do you handle that? How do you hold on to the actual experience? And Mm. does that contribute to burnout? Mm -hmm. How do you mourn and how do you grieve where so much death is around. And so, yeah, many pastors talk about that a lot privately. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I haven't experienced it as much in our direct work where congregations reach out specifically asking about resources around grief, death, and dying, although we've offered a lot of workshops on this topic over the years and they've been very well attended. So I think it's something that either people maybe don't know that they need a little bit more information on or if it's something that it's hard to ask for. And that might also be the case, that the vulnerability of asking for help about grief, bereavement, and loss might be difficult. But yeah, I'm definitely aware that it has been a topic that has been of interest to congregations for quite a number of years here in Northeast Indiana. In fact, the last time we had it up here, our speaker, Patrick Riggi, he was so phenomenal that people still talk about that experience. And some have even spun off and had little memorials, Mm. sessions, if you will, at their church to celebrate one passing on and transitioning. And so I think that the great gift that we can give is that we allow people just to be who they are, right? Let's not Mm. place a value 
on whether one is more vulnerable than the other, where we can just simply say, hey, here are all these resources for you and you can partake in them if you like. Yeah. Thanks for that, Mackenzie. That's a good reminder. So it's a lengthy interview and there's some pretty deep and personal sharing happening in that interview. So we're going to go ahead and get out of the way and just get to the interview. So this is Patrick Rieke. He's the Director of Dignity and Spiritual Care at Parkview Health in Northeast Indiana. He's someone that we've worked with for a number of years and has done a lot of events for us. And I think you'll appreciate the wisdom that he brings to the table. All right, so let's go ahead and get into that interview. Let's do it. everybody. Welcome back. We are here with Patrick Rieke, the Director of Dignity and Spiritual Care from Parkview Health. Patrick, so good to have you with us today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We're a big fan of Patrick and his work. He's done a number of events for the Center for Congregations and a couple of books that we'll probably talk about here in a little bit. But for the conversation today, Patrick, one of the things that you focus on is how congregations care for people dealing with really serious illness, dealing with death, dealing with grief, you know, the really fun stuff that are really, you know, it's hilarious to talk about. <laughs> exactly, 100%. <laughs> but as we talk about that, I'm interested in focusing on how COVID has impacted the life of congregations and the way that people think about and deal with these things. You know, I mean, obviously we're recording this in March of 23, so we're more in endemic phase, not pandemic phase. And kind of the major pressure of it is over, but, you know, a lot of people are saying that there are very long-lasting consequences. So I'm curious as to what you see as some of the ongoing ripples in congregations. Yeah, well, dive just right into the deep end. I think about the story of Job, and I think for years, and actually talked about this with Center for Congregation Events um, before COVID, about the experience of Job and how, really kind of how rare that experience is. When you think about a person who's not just had one loss, but they've had losses piled on top of losses, you know. So if you're familiar with the oldest story in the scriptures of Job of losing not only his business, not just losing his finances, but also losing his children on top of it, all in one day, just, you know, one person coming up after another saying, this is what's happened. We used to think that that was a very uncommon, very rare experience. You might know a couple people that had had sort of loss on top of loss on top of loss. I think what COVID did during those years in a variety of ways was to increase everyone's baseline. So everyone's baseline included some loss. My kids got sent home from school. My kid missed his year of uh, sporting season. My job changed significantly. I lost wages. I lost income. And then you add on top of that, that, so that's some of the baseline that nearly everyone experienced on some level. And then you add on um, what we were talking about before we hit record here with Matt McKenzie, more people died during those years than ever before. The rate of Americans who died per year in 2020 and especially 2021 and then continuing and lingering into 2022, the death rate was higher than it's ever been in any of our lives. And I think we just have to let that sink in a little bit because, you know, we got inundated with information and data and numbers through the pandemic. And every night, if you're turning on the news, whatever program you're listening to, there's always so much more data. But what it really comes down to is, and I'm going to try not to apologize if I get choked up here, because that's one of my principles. <laughs> you don't apologize for having a little bit of tears. So I'll try to follow my own principle here. What it comes down to for me is my friend Will's mom died with COVID really early on. 
And then he had an aunt who died. And in the meantime, you know, we're all sort of cooped up in our houses and not seeing each other as much. And he's going through this extremely difficult time. He wasn't able to even see his mom in the hospital, went to Detroit to see her, but because of visitor restrictions, by the way, visitor restrictions that I myself helped put into place at Parkview, those visitor restrictions kept him from being at his mom's bedside as much as he would have liked to have been in her last moment. So you take all those things and you say, Will was already having to adjust for the pandemic for his work. His kids were sent home from school and now his mom's died and now his aunt's died. And so he's really, all of a sudden he's at that job level and Will's story is unique, but it's also common. I think a lot of people, you know, started with that baseline that's already leveled up two or three spots. And then they had their own personal experiences and personal losses on top of that. So there's just more people around us in our congregations, our community, our neighbors that are close to that Job level of loss and experience. Wow. I am, Patrick, taking a moment, as you said, about choking up and thinking about my uncle, my cousin, and other friends who have passed. And I'm letting that, that sink in. And so what would you advise individuals like your friend and but like me and so many millions of others, what to do with the burden of death when there isn't this kind of proper pain of respect or having that time to have some sense of closure? What would be your advice? Yeah. First of all, I just want to acknowledge that. And Mackenzie sounds like you've had some of those experiences through this time and people that are close to you. And and I think sometimes we want to gloss over, right? Say that happened and, but I'm okay and I'm fine and I'm moving forward and we've got the next day to worry about, the next thing to think about. But I think we have to stop and say, that happened. Yeah. And that has an impact and it sticks with you and it doesn't go away just because you came to work today and you're looking, looking great. I can see your outfit. I know we're on audio here, but I can see how nicely you're dressed and you look great. Doesn't mean that that's not still sticking with you invisibly. And I think for congregation leaders, they know. They know that people walking through those doors have been impacted and that they're carrying this with them. You know, we use that word that we got all got sick of at the beginning of the pandemic, unprecedented. You know, we got right. really tired of hearing like, <laughs> I'm ready for some precedented times instead of <laughs> unprecedented times. But the truth of it is we're still feeling that impact. We didn't really have a container. We didn't have language. We didn't have experience for mm-hmm. what we went through during that time. And that means we didn't really know how to recover. We already live in a death avoidance society where we don't want to talk about our own death. We don't want to talk about the death of others too often because we think we're going to jinx something or, you know, we're going to get too serious right. to, to Matt's <laughs> point earlier. It's not exactly a hilarious topic to talk about. So we already weren't super great at talking about death. And then we get to this point where it becomes more overwhelming and we have even less of a framework for it. So I think there's still people who haven't had a funeral, Mm. who haven't had that memorial service. And I would say for some of you, it's not too late to do that formal thing. There is some power in gathering some people together in that person's name and having a purposeful reflection and and let people share. And if people aren't going to get together, it's not too late for you individually. To set aside, you know, I think we kind of carry this with us on a daily basis, but setting aside a time, I'm going to go to this place that is important to me or important to my uncle or my sister or my child who died, 
and I'm going to take some purposeful time there. I'm going to maybe write some things out. I'm going to have some thoughts. I'm going to say what I really think to God, you know, during that time to, to really set that time aside can be impactful. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Patrick. So Patrick, I'm curious, what are some of the potential negative repercussions in congregations when we aren't attentive to the fact of these tragedies that have happened? I mean, what do you see as kind of the major issues that can crop up as a result of that? Yeah, so maybe I even look at it the same question through a different lens. What are some of the opportunities? I think some of the opportunities are, you know, you've got people who are probably great leaders within your congregation who have experienced trauma, grief, loss, death during this time. If you as a congregational leader acknowledge that continually, not just once, not just, hey, I, I did the funeral. Hey, I sent on a sympathy card. But two years later, you say something like, hey, I know it's been a while, but how are you doing since you know your friend died, since your dad died, since your mom died? Don't be afraid to bring it up. I think that would be an opportunity, I would say, is don't be afraid that you're going to hurt that person by bringing it up. They're still thinking about that person. That loss is still sticking with them. So to say, how are you doing since that happened, you know, gives them an opportunity to either say, you know, hey, I'm healing, I'm doing well, thanks so much for asking, thanks for respecting that, or to say, you know, it's sticking with me so much and it's hurt me so much, I'm not sure if I can continue doing some of the things I'm doing within the congregation. And it honors them and it builds that engagement too to say, you know, this is not a place that you have to drop your grief at the door when you come in. But, you know, we know that Jesus, you know, is somebody who celebrated as the resurrection and the life in a lot of our congregations. But Jesus knew how to mourn. He knew how to weep. He knew how to mourn with people who are going through that time. And I think we can model that. You know, we want to be encouraging as congregational leaders and that sort of thing. But sometimes the best encouragement is to really acknowledge that and to circle back to those people, whether that death was a month ago, two months ago two years ago to check in with those people. It builds engagement. It shows um, the level to which we care as congregational leaders. And I think really keeps them plugged into what they're doing within our congregations. So my question to you is a two-parter, Patrick, and I'm taking it from the, the lens of racism. Racism before COVID, racism during COVID and racism after. Racism before our church meetings racism during it, and racism afterwards. And my question is, does grief, death, have a color, a culture that is particular to different ethnic groups? And has racism played a role in how we mourn and grieve? So that's the first part. The second part is, can death be a gift to us? Those are two great questions, Mackenzie. Yeah, you're really going with the depths here of this question today, you know? putting these two things together. Yeah, I think race goes with grief quite a bit, actually. You know, to start with, people of color died at a higher rate during COVID than white people. And, you know, I was yes. actually just returned from a conference, as Matt knows, where we talked about some of those equities and disparities we experienced during COVID. It was like 1.4 times the rate of African-Americans died with COVID than people who are white. And that's a huge, 1.4 might not seem like a lot, but when you think about when you shake that out with the people that you're interacting with to know that your friend is a person of color, they have a 1.4 more of a chance to have had someone in their life that's died. That's a significant difference. It's a significant impact. I mean, the disparities, the health disparities that we've always seen traditionally were on display during COVID. Indigenous people, for instance, absolutely. um, Children of indigenous parents 
lost parents to COVID at a rate that was much more significant than others in our community. So yes, it does play an impact, I think, in part because it happened more often during this Mm -hmm. stage. It happened at earlier ages. You know, it happened where people felt a barrier between themselves and healthcare at times because of their race. And that might have caused them, some of the experiences they've had in the past might have caused them to wait and delay treatment more than in other situations. So it has an impact in that way. And I think, second of all, it has an impact because we do grieve culturally, whatever our culture was. And race is a part of our culture. They're not the same thing, of course, but it's a part of our culture. I remember way before COVID, 10 years ago, one of the first deaths I responded to at sort of our more inner city hospital was an African-American woman. And by the time I got there as a chaplain, there's 25, 30, 40, 50 family members and a lot of display of emotion from this African-American family. Some people on the ground, you know, sort of biblical imagery, right? On the ground, beating their chest, calling out, you know, that sort of thing. And as sort of a German Catholic, white Midwestern American, <laughs> that was not that was not my experience. Sure. You know, it was not what I was familiar with. But I saw the love that they mourned with. And mm-hmm. once they learned what my role was in it, they could sort of connect me with the person who was sort of the unofficial spokesperson for the family. And I remember ending up in this huge circle in a big lobby. And it's late at night. I think it was the middle of the night in this huge circle of 25, 30 family members. And honestly, it was probably the most free I've ever felt in prayer with a group of people because I knew what their feelings were. I knew what they felt about their grandmother, their mother, their sister, their aunt who had just died. And I knew what their faith was. And so being able yes. to join with them was was a sense of freedom. So I think the experience of grief is cultural. It's generational too. I do think that mm-hmm. younger people with sort of fewer and fewer things being taboo now, death, miscarriage, stillbirth is something that's been taboo. Death by suicide, death by violence. I still maintain a lot of those taboos we don't want to talk about. But I have hope that the generation, my kids and younger, that they're going to say, you know what? We need to talk about this. We need to mm-hmm. talk about when people die. I need to talk about when my grandpa died. You know, one of my nieces, when she had a miscarriage, immediately put that information out on social media. And she received support that we didn't receive. You know, 25 years ago when my wife experienced a miscarriage, it was mm-hmm. very private. You know, we had a couple of people who were great, but we were not of the mindset that we wanted to tell everybody right away. And we didn't have that level of support. So, yeah, I think it does both of those things. I love the generational approach and how it's different. And we're in a, you know, obviously in the tech world and how digital platforms play in death. And that is a cultural phenomenon in itself, right? And so that second part of the question was, can death actually be a gift and how to receive it? Because the understanding is, as my grandfather used to say, we're going to pass by this way at one time, right? Yeah, I 100% think it can be a gift. And it's always sacred, even when it's traumatic. Mm. So there's times where it doesn't feel like a gift. It doesn't feel like a relief because it's a traumatic loss, but it's still a sacred moment when that person dies and celebrating that person's life. I'll give you an example from two years ago, almost two years ago to the day, as a matter of fact. In that season, our family had three losses. One was my father-in-law, who was a beloved, you know, just a sweet, beloved man, been sick for a long time. We kind of knew his death was coming. Wouldn't quite say it was a gift because he wasn't an exactly elderly, but it was something we saw coming and in some senses was a relief. 
for him because he'd been sick in so many ways. Uh, the second one that happened was a young woman who was 31 years old, healthy, and she went to give birth to a healthy baby boy, blood clots in her lungs, and she died in our hospital. And I was there with her seeing that happen. There was no real sense of that being a gift at that point in time. Certainly it was not a relief. You know, her baby was doing great, doing fine. And baby's mom was, was gone the, the day after he was born. In the same season, my wife's 99-year-old grandmother <laughs> died. And that was a gift that she died because sure. she did not want to be around anymore. She wanted to go to be with God. She was cranky as all get out and not really making life for anybody else any more positive when she was interacting with them. So in many ways, Mackenzie, <laughs> grandma, great-grandma died. It was a relief for her and probably for some of her caregivers and family members too. Sure, yeah. So as in so many things, Patrick, I think congregations should be the ones leading the way in a lot of the ways that we handle things in society. And what are the ways that congregations can lead the way in handling death? Because as you talked about earlier, we're death avoidant. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. We want to brush past it. What are ways that congregations can create an environment where death becomes something that is, it's okay to talk about. And it's something that we do think about and prepare for as opposed to just waiting for the inevitable and then it being tragic when it occurs. I'd say there's a few ways. One is to recognize for Christian congregations, particularly Jesus talked about death all the time. He talked about his own death. People kind of hated it when he did, you know, tried to quiet him down. If you remember the story of Peter saying, this is never going to happen to you. You know, you're never going to die. We're not going to let this happen. And Jesus, his response is, get behind me, Satan. Hmm. That's pretty striking, especially for those of us who don't want to talk about our own death. Don't want to talk about the possibility of others around us dying. Jesus was so emphatic about talking about his own death that he had that strong reaction to Peter. Second of all, I think embracing lament, you know, is part of many congregations' rich history that maybe we overlook sometimes. Actually, I think we can learn a lot from our Jewish friends in this regard. They, they have learned not only from their ancient history, but more from their modern history as well, that lament is key to healthy spirituality. To say, God, I wish this had not happened. Hmm. In fact, I kind of can't believe that you let it happen. These are biblical thoughts, right? These are Psalms, words of Jesus, words of the apostles. These are deeply embedded into most of our congregation's rich history to lament. And there's a pastor actually out of Indianapolis, Mark, and I can't pronounce Mark's last name, but he wrote a whole book on lament and integrating that into our congregational lives. And I'd say third of all, so kind of going spiritual and then going very practical, there's a medical practice of advanced care planning. And hopefully a lot of people are becoming more familiar with this, but when you think of living wills, appointment of a healthcare representative, you know, if, if I'm incapacitated tomorrow and I can't say for myself what I want for my medical care, this is the person I want to make decisions for me. And these are the kinds of things that are important to me. I think congregations can take a lead in saying to their congregants, this is an important process that every adult needs to do. Because none of us know, you know, none of us is promised tomorrow, right? And none of us know that tomorrow we're not going to take a bad fall and be in the hospital and be in ICU. We might say, well, we're healthy, you know, that sort of thing. All the more so. If you're healthy and you're a good sound mind, start to talk about what you want. If you're not in that situation anymore, have the conversation, put some documents into place, 
most hospitals and doctors now can put you in touch with a free resource to have a great conversation about that. And I think if our congregational leaders lead the way in having some of those good conversations themselves and then feed that into their congregation can be a way to think about these things before we're in that precipice where we're, we feel like we're falling into the abyss of medical issues and death and grief. I'm pausing here at this time, Patrick, because I believe that I probably should have asked this question earlier. So what is the definition of death, mourning, and grief and burnout as congregants are experiencing this at astronomical levels that we're hearing about? There's all kinds of ministries on mental health that has been birthed since the pandemic. To be fair, some churches were already into that space and things of this nature. But the kind of level set because sometimes we can get so much into what's going on right now that we don't even have a definition for these things, or it may have evolved as a result of trauma in terms of our understanding of it. And so if you could, from a biblical perspective, from a natural perspective, practical, what is death? What is mourning and grieving and burnout? Yeah, that's a great question, Mackenzie. I would say, The way I would define grief is when you don't have something or someone that you want to have, Mm. or you have something that you don't want to have. So you think about the person who's diagnosed with a serious illness. They experience grief. You know, no one has died at that moment. They're not necessarily facing their own death at that moment, but something's been inserted into their life on a deep level. They don't want to have to face so they're experiencing grief and when someone dies that we're close with we don't want them to be gone we want them to be in our lives and now all of a sudden they're gone and so we experience grief and i think understanding it in that way that it's something that's in our lives that we don't want or someone or something that's out of our lives that we do want helps us understand why when our long lost cousin that we talk to twice in our lives at you know family get-togethers when she dies I might not feel it as much because it's not somebody who every day I wanted to have in my life. It's not, didn't have any ill will towards her, but she wasn't a crucial part of my life. And then a coworker dies or, you know, we'll go here just a little bit. A pet dies. Sure. Somebody that we interact with daily that we want to be there. And then they're gone. We can experience that grief. Grief is not a mental illness. Grief is not depression. Can you slow that? I'm sorry. Can you rewind that again? That is great stuff. And I'm talking about the stigma that sometimes is attached to grief from different denominations and spiritual practices. And you said that grief is not. Grief is not a mental illness. Grief is not depression. Grief is not actually a problem. Grief is to be expected and to be embraced, I suppose, is the best way to say it. I think of a couple ways of expressing grief is love with no place to go. Mm. You know, I can't go have dinner with this friend that died two years ago. I can't tell her how much I enjoy seeing her son. My love for her as a friend has no place to go. And so I grieve for that because I know, you know, we had a concert that I bought tickets for last week that I wanted to send my wife to and realized after I bought the tickets that the last time I sent her to see this particular artist, she'd gone with this friend who died a couple of years ago. And it was like, I didn't have any place to go with that. So I grieved. I think we need to get away from talking about people who are 
quote unquote, still grieving because grief goes on in some respects forever, especially for those people that are closest to us. You know, why did Jesus grieve when Lazarus died? Not because he thought that death was permanent. You know, I imagine he probably had some idea what was going to happen next, but because he cared about his friend, even the uh, Jews who were standing by said, look how much he loved him. Mm. So when we grieve, when we feel grief, it's the experience of having someone that's not there anymore that we want to be there. And then mourning, I think, is the actions we take. Mourning is the actual crying, is the service, is the journaling, is the talking. You know, I know a lot of people who still talk to the person who's died, not because they think they're actually having a conversation, but because it's good for them. You know, they go to that place, they see their picture, have a conversation with grandpa. That's mourning. So I feel the grief and I do the mourning. I practice the mourning. That's outstanding. You're talking to a person who has eulogized my mom and my dad my brother and trying to find language to express to others sometimes my isolation, uh, sometimes my celebrations. And this has been, this podcast has recast a hope in me, giving me language to continue to express without this type of cultural guilt mm. that has been built up over time. Like you, you just have to get over stuff. You gotta, you know, you gotta keep swinging. You gotta, you gotta move on. So that kind of underpins the question, can death be a gift? And you answer that brilliantly. And because I think that it, it is. And so today I, I got a chance to be gifted with some language. So thank you. I'm curious. How, how is, your brother different than your parents? Whew. As far as you had to eulogize all of them, but brother's a different relationship. It is a very different relationship. Um, I had just come in town and had communion with him the day before. So this was totally unexpected. I get a call at four in the morning that he had passed. And... It was as if that experience taught me that death isn't always convenient, but God is always present. And I was able to experience that presence with God and with my brother right in the moment. And so that felt, even though it was a surprise, it felt like we did something that I I knew that he wanted. And that was a great satisfaction. What my my mother, uh, she passed of cancer and went into cardiac arrest. I was her primary caregiver as well. And she coded once and then they brought her back and I was there. And I said, mom, squeeze my hand if you want to fight. And, and she did. And so she was, she was brought back. But then I knew the doctors said, well, it's really bad if she codes again you let us know what you want to do. And she did. And then I just raised my hands in the air. And for those of you, you know, you can't see me, but my hands are up as a type of surrender. And they stopped. And the doctors said, you did the best thing for her. Mm -hmm. And then the tie-in for me was, 
She wasn't squeezing my hands to stay. She was squeezing my hands to let go. That that was her faith was, I'm okay. It's okay to transition. And so they were very different. My father got a call early in the morning that he had, he had passed in his sleep. So that experience, my father wasn't a big church goer. He believed in God and Christ and things like that. His father was a pastor and that's where I get my, my foundation from and things of this nature. So he was a big sports guy. And so that was more a sports metaphor that some games you win, some games you lose, but you can always learn something from it, whether you win or lose. And so that experience was different. So he was a big Bears fan. And so we were able to talk a lot about that God has prepared an arena for him to go and play in that is not on this side. I think we don't talk much about how hard this is for pastors who do these eulogies, who do these funerals, who try to be there for families in their worst time, because it also crosses over, right? So you were pastor, but you were also brother and son. And one of our other African-American chaplains had to do a funeral for his infant grandson a couple of years ago. And this is a man who's Faith would inspire all of us. You know, he's a man of great faith, has a wonderful church, has a long ministry, but that was different, you know, and he'd done a lot of funerals. Mm -hmm. But I think that blurring of the lines for those of us who are in ministry, and maybe we have a box for when our congregant dies, but when it's a family member and we're going, we're doing a, a similar function for them that we've done for so many other people, and yet we're also grieving. And I think our clergy people get overlooked sometimes for the grief they feel, not only for their family, but, you know, we, as we're called, we love the people that we serve, too. So even when they die, we, right. we have that grief, too. Absolutely. And I often wonder, you know, what do we, because the expectations, right? <laughs> Some of the people may not like this, but, you know, we all are kind of, in a sense, people pleasing, right, in our lives. And... And so the expectation that is placed on us is to do this thing. You have to be strong because I am not strong. You have to deliver this eulogy because I can't do that, right? And so the pressures of family and not to mention what I call the business of death, that is a whole nother layer and I was responsible for as well, right? So it's putting together the service and taking care of the insurance policies and the mm. burial sites and all that stuff. It's the business of death that brings a new, I say new, but an added layer of, of grieving and mourning. Yeah, I'm sorry that you had to do that. And it, yeah, it takes you, when you get out of that seat where the family's sitting and you stand behind the lectern or the stand and put that mantle on, you have to recover after that. You know, you have to find a way to, to do some soul care for yourself. Because when you're doing it for other people, and this is always the case, not just, you know, for funerals and death and everything, but when you're doing soul care for others, you know, how do we find our way to say, you know what, I actually deserve the same sort of care that I'm trying to give to other people. And to your point, Mackenzie, of the people pleasing, sometimes we look at the value of those around us as mm -hmm. um, congregation leaders. We look at the people that we serve for us at the hospital, look at patients and the value they have. 
but it's good to remember that we have that same value we have that same dignity we have that same worth as the people who are serving and to take a moment to allow our cup to be filled too as we're trying to fill the cup of other people sometimes we get down to the bottom of that cup and there's not much left and we, we deserve as much as anyone else and so if there's a congregational leader that's listening to this you deserve it you deserve that care that love that support that those times are refreshing uh, just as much as anybody else amen Thanks for sharing all that, Mackenzie. So, Patrick, thank you so much for your time and the conversation thus far. Where can people follow you or find your work? Yeah, absolutely. My website's just my name, www.patrickreeke.com. Last name's R-I-E-C-K-E. Probably in the show notes here, too. Mm-hmm. And then the place I share most on social is on LinkedIn under the same name. Awesome. So yeah, we'll definitely post those in the show notes. Patrick has written several books. It's a couple of nonfiction books, some fiction books that also essentially are around the same kind of topic, dealing with these kinds of situations. Really highly recommend those. And Patrick, thanks for staying on to talk resources with us. I know that you're familiar with a lot of the resources in this world. So why don't you kick it off with one of yours? Yeah, the book that I just could not put down, and I'm really more of a methodical reader usually, but this was one I could not methodically read. I think I read it in two or three sittings is a book by Kate Bowler. She's a Duke Divinity professor who was diagnosed with stage four cancer at a very young age. She wrote a book provocatively entitled, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. So she talks about how some of the cliches that we might think of in the world of faith for sickness and death and dying just didn't work for her in her situation and how she came to grips with faith. So I love that. She's got a great podcast by the same title, Everything Happens, and just a really great resource, I think, for anybody who's looking at to honestly face death and dying concerns. Very cool. So, Mackenzie, do you have something for you that you want to bring up? <laughs> yeah. There's a book by Rebecca S. Allen. It's called Perspectives on Palliative and End-of-Life Care, Disease, Social and Cultural Context, Aging, and Mental Health Research. And so, what this book does a great job at is having interventions, a behavioral type of intervention into end-of-life care from a social and cultural perspective and how to relate to different cultures as they look at death and look at mental health and how that impacts. So that's a good resource for you. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that, Mackenzie. I've got one, Giving a Life Meaning, How to Lead Funerals, Memorial Services, and Celebrations of Life. This is by John Swanson, who is, full disclosure, a good friend of myself and Patrick. He's a chaplain in a local health network here, and just lots of wisdom in John. And this is just a really great and practical book about how to lead services. And John also has a blog called Being Helpful in Loss, beinghelpfulinloss.com, which we'll also link to. And John has some other works as well. Actually, John was also on our podcast back in March 30th of 2022 on an episode called Navigating Grief and Lamentation. So I'd encourage you to check that out. We are always shamelessly self-promoting here at the Center for Congregation. (laughs) It's all about the resources. (laughs) It's it's all about the resources. And Patrick, I think you had one more. Yeah, I'd really recommend a book by Atul Gawande. It's called Being Mortal. You'll be able to find it easily by that title. 
this is written by a physician, actually, Dr. Gawande now has a leadership role with World Health Organization, a very prominent surgeon the world over. But the story of being mortal is really when he came to realize as a young doctor that there's problems you can't fix. You, know, you kind of go into doctoring, I assume. I wouldn't know because I'm not in the field, but I would assume so that you could try to help people and fix situations that are going on. And he realized pretty quickly that sometimes you can't fix it. And so then the question becomes, what is the goal here instead of trying to overcome and fix? And and just found this quote from the book that kind of sums some of that up. Dr. Wandi says, in Being Mortal, we've been wrong about what our job is in medicine. We think our job is to ensure health and survival. But really, it's larger than that. It's to enable well-being. So just maybe a shift in how we think about not just medicine, but our lives, right? Like survival is not the point. Because if survival is the point, we're going to lose that battle eventually. We know 100% of the time we're going to lose that battle. So the question is, how do we live in the meantime, realizing that our life is finite? And he's a fantastic writer, first of all, but to see it sort of behind the lens of a doctor is really, really powerful. Very cool. Thanks, Patrick. So one other resource is how you can be a resource. If you know someone who is a clergy leader in your congregation or a chaplain in a, in a given context, with their permission, just give them a hug. <laughs> just thank them for their care of those that they care for in the hospitals and in the congregations around this country because they deal with a lot of grief and a lot of loss that the rest of us do not, even if it's just a fist bump, but some acknowledgement that thank you for being there for people in these times of crisis. So we'll have all those resources listed in the show notes for this episode. Well, thanks, Patrick. Appreciate it, man. This has been awesome. Thank you, Patrick. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We really do appreciate you being a part of this journey with us. Also, you can rate and review the podcast. That makes it easy for others to find a podcast and all this good stuff. And so, again, our gratitude to you for listening to us. Yeah, and if you want to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. If you would email us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. We keep an eye on that inbox and love to hear from listeners. If you have thoughts about the episode, if you have thoughts about future episodes or topics, or if you have any thoughts on perhaps a presenter, we've had a couple people take us up on that, and some of those are in the works. So quick shout out to Jason. Thank you so much for reaching out, Jason. And we are pursuing the person that you recommended. So we shared a lot of resources with you today. There are many more on our CRG, which is the Congregational Resource Guide, and is the CRG.org, the T-H-E-C-R-G dot org. And there you can find so much more rich content, vlogs and blogs and books, videos, and so forth and so on, on the various topics that have been covered in our podcasts and those to come. We also want to thank the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Their generosity funds all of our work, the CRG, the podcast, and the work that we do in the state of Indiana. So thank you very much to the Lilly Endowment for your generosity and your care and concern for congregations. So this episode has been edited by Jaden Lee. We always appreciate what he does to make us sound great. And we also want to give a geographical shout out to our listeners in Hesse, Germany. That's right, Mackenzie, oh, wow. we have some listeners 
in Hesse, Germany. All right. And so we're thankful that you all are listening to the podcast. We've been doing some international shout outs recently. We'll get back to domestic in future episodes. But to those of you listening in Germany, thank you so much. And we love a good shout out, don't we? <laughs> a good shout out. That's right. <laughs> so for the Center for Congregations, I'm Matt Burke. And I'm Mackenzie Scott Lewis. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you.